You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. stat I've seen recently is about two-thirds of breaches that involve small businesses were caused by an employee or a contractor's negligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and the criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We've got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, my interview with Neil Feather from SiteLock. He joins us to explain how scammers fill the gap when popular retail items are sold out. All right, so we've got some good stories uh, this week, but before we get to that, uh, Joe, you've got some follow-up for I us. I do, I do. Uh, uh, listener Robert hit me up on Twitter, and he said, first of all, I wanted to say I'm a big fan of Hacking Humans, and I listen every week. Thank you for the valuable information you share. I would like to raise a red flag about Dave Baggett, last week's guest, actually, I guess it was two weeks ago, saying... To verify the identity of a user through Teams or Slack, I don't think this is correct. To verify through Teams seems a dangerous option to me. If the Office 365 account was compromised, they'd have access to mail and Teams. The risk with Slack would be dependent on trusting that they have a unique password or hadn't conducted a password reset. I'm far too cynical these days. Therefore, I'd verify with the good old-fashioned phone call. And... Robert makes a very good point. By the way, he also says, P.S., he agrees with me on my barriers to entry into the cybersecurity industry, so I want to tout that again. Um, but Well, let's back up here, though. Yes. Would, so, give us the backstory of what Robert is taking issue with. So what Dave was saying was that we need to put two-factor authentication on our conversations by following up with the person who says something in a, in a certain context, right? Like if somebody says, hey, I, here's some new banking details in an email, you don't just – say, okay, I'll enter those new banking details. You you verify that information somehow. And mm. Dave mentioned using Teams. Well, if you're using Office 365 and someone has conducted a business email compromise campaign and has compromised someone's Office 365 account, they have not only compromised their email, but they've also compromised their Teams account. Oh, so I see. If I send a message back to somebody via Teams, and the attacker's listening, the attacker can just go, yeah, that was me. Go ahead and do it. Now, you think you've conducted the two-factor authentication on this conversation, you know, this this human two-factor thing, but you haven't. You've just talked to the attacker twice. What Robert says is very is a very good point, and what Robert talks about is also a very good way to defend yourself on this. Just pick up the phone and make a phone call. That is yeah. something that requires a telephone conversation or a face-to-face conversation. Right. So make sure that whatever you're using as a second factor is actually a separate platform than the right. than the one you're using initially. Right. And he yeah, also says sense. if you're using Slack, which is not in the Microsoft domain, what if that person uses their Microsoft email for a password reset and I'm in control of that email? Remember, we had we had somebody on who said that email is the key. If I can compromise your email that you have all your password reset emails going to – if I can compromise that account, I own you. That's it. Right. No matter what, make sure you have two-factor on your email account. Right, right? absolutely. I mean, that's, that is the, probably the keys to the kingdom for so many things. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to our stories. Uh, thanks to Robert for sending that in. We do appreciate it. We, we love to hear from you all, so uh, please uh, send in your comments, and we will uh, address them on the air. Joe, my story this week uh, is actually an email that I got, and... Um, 
I have to say it, it drove me to distraction and sent me down a little bit of a rabbit hole. Really? So, <laughs> yes. And, well, let me just describe it to you. So I'm uh, sitting here at work. I'm going through my emails, minding my own business. And uh, this, <laughs> this email comes up and it says it's from Disney Account Member Services. And it says new sign in to your account. It says, hello, Dave. Your account was just used to sign into Disney, a part of the Walt Disney family of companies. And it says, source, Chrome, location, Novi Sad, Serbia. If this looks familiar, then you can ignore this message. If you believe that someone else may have accessed your account, then you should use the button below hmm. to change your password and secure <laughs> your account. And there's a button there, and it says change password. Now, I have to say that uh, this email is very well constructed graphically. There's a logo from the Walt Disney Company. Right. There are logos with many of the Walt Disney Company's affiliated companies, companies like ESPN and ABC and Marvel. And, yep. you know, Disney owns just about everything these days. <laughs> Now, I'll tell you, Dave, I'm I'm also a customer of Disney with this, and I sign in with the same account to uh, not only Disney Plus uh, or whatever the, the Disney service is, but also to ESPN, the ESPN service, and to my uh, Marvel subscriptions. So when it says here in the first sentence, it looks a little awkward. It says your account was just used to sign into, and it just has Disney. I don't know that would raise a red flag for me. Yeah, well, so I just want to share my thought process through here of how I unpacked this because hopefully it'll right. be useful to uh, some of our listeners. Uh, so the first thing I did was I wondered, is this a fake phishing account? You know, we right. here at the CyberWire, we uh, subscribe to a service that occasionally sends us fake phishing messages. And I'm pretty good at spotting them. And in fact, uh, I have figured out that if I go look at the uh, source code for the message, there's a tell in there and I can always, <laughs> if I'm suspicious, right. <laughs> I can go look and I can see where it came from and I know, aha, it's one of these fake things. I have not yet uh, written a filter to automatically send those into a folder, but it's on my to-do list. Uh, <laughs> so, and, the, and thus you defeat the purpose of the training. <laughs> well, exactly. But, you know, you're not going to outsmart me, training company. So, <laughs> so I, I looked at that and I looked for the usual tell and it's not there. So my okay. second thought was, hmm, okay, well, maybe... This uh, fishing training company has just upped their game. And yep. <laughs> right, right. But then I noticed that this email was not actually addressed to my CyberWire account. It was addressed to one of my personal accounts, okay. a previous email address that I have used for over 25 years. <laughs> Right. This is right. one of my original email addresses that has so much stuff associated with it. Yeah. All right. So what do I do next? Well, of course, the last thing in the world I'm going to do is click on that button that says right. change password. Right. Now, I did hover over it and it had what looked like a plausible domain that it would go to. Mm -hmm. It was something like go.disney.com, you know, and Disney does own the Go Yep. You know, that that's a brand that Disney you know, uses of, has used in the past. Yeah, it's yep, part, part of their ABC. part of their network. Yeah, right. exactly. So the next thing I did was I did just a plain old Google search for uh, you know, Disney uh, account password reset scam, and that took me to a page on Reddit, which had a ton of of listings from this and similar emails to it. And the frustrating part about this was about. It was about 50-50 split between people saying, yeah, totally a scam, don't click the link, and other people saying, no, this is legit, this is from Disney, and here's why. 
So this wasn't particularly helpful to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. And so here I am. I'm spending a good amount of time on this email that who knows what the actual verdict is on it. Okay. Right. So in the end, I did not click on the link to change my password. I have not done that yet. Okay. And I probably won't. I suspect that this is a legitimate email from Disney. But part of my risk equation here is what account is this? Because this is not something that I'm actively engaged with. My guess is that this is the result of a credential stuffing account because I know uh, there are credentials associated with this email address from long ago before I uh, saw the light and, and learned the, the ways of the world. I was one of those people who reused passwords many, yep. many places. I was too. And so I know that some of the passwords that I reused are out there in some of the large data breaches. Yep. And I suspect that's what this is the result of. I think this is a zombie account for something I did with Disney who knows how long ago. And so the question in my mind, what I, I still haven't settled on is, am I better off leaving this zombie account be? There's no payment information in there. There's certainly no up-to-date payment information in there. If, if I'd ever purchased something, it would have been with a long-ago expired credit card. Right? right. Or is it worth the risk of, of going through and trying to get to the bottom of this? Now, I did go and, try, and looked at just... Disney and try saw could I sign in with something you know and and I that basically I didn't really get very far with that either so so are you uh, still in control of the email account I am yes okay then what you should do is go through their forgot password workflow right and then with that because this is not the email account that you use to sign up for your Disney Plus account is it no my Disney Plus account is actually through my wife's email address so okay. I have nothing to do with that right so that, so, that so, I feel insulated with okay so what you should do is uh, what I think has happened here is somebody has signed up for a free trial of Disney Plus using your email account as a way of getting their free trial so they can watch Disney for however long and then uh, when that's up they move on to another free trial Mm, so mm -hmm. I think I think that might be what this is, but then you can go in and you can close the account out. This has happened to me with Netflix before. Somebody signed up, almost the exact same situation. Netflix in my house is set up through my wife's email account. I got an email that says, "Hey, your Netflix account has been signed into, and or your password has changed." I'm like, "I don't have a Netflix account," so I went in and I shut the account down. That made sure, or I actually just took it over and, and gave it a new password so that nobody else could ever abuse my email address mm -hmm. to, to do that. And I only did that out of spite, right? <laughs> because I'm like, how <laughs> dare you do this to me? <laughs> do you know who I am? I have a podcast with Dave Pitter. Um, so it's perfectly fine to probably ignore this, you know, let Disney deal with it on their own and let, let them, you know, give away their free two weeks to somebody, I think. Yeah, that's probably what I'm going to end up doing here. But the, I guess the, the reason that I wanted to share this was just to highlight how, this stuff is hard. And yeah. <laughs> I, I took, I mean, I, I spent not an, not an insignificant amount of time on this reverse engineering the email, you know, looking at all of, you know, the source headers and everything, trying to figure out where did this come from, weighing the pluses and minuses of what could possibly be going on here. And, you know, it's not like I'm not up on this stuff. Right. right. <laughs> so, well, uh, I might even call you an expert, Dave. <laughs> well, perhaps. I don't know. That might be going a bit too far, but, uh, I would say my, my knowledge of this area is probably above average. Yep. And so the ambiguity here, the the uncertainty, there, there's not necessarily a totally clear path of how to handle something like this. And 
I guess that's part of life, but yeah. uh, I figure maybe it'd uh, be good to share with our listeners so uh, maybe they'll get some insights from it uh, as well. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, it's not a very satisfying ending. No, <laughs> no it's not. <laughs> so let's move on to your story, Joe. What do, you, what do you have for us? All right, Dave. This week, my story comes from uh, Twitter follower Storm Shadow at, at Storm Shadow 1371. And he sent me this back in April, but thanks to Twitter's terrible interface for when you have a message request, because I wasn't following him, I got a little tiny blue thing, so I didn't see it until yesterday. <laughs> um, but so I'm a little bit behind on this, but he's going to lead to a, a thing that's going around right now called the Blessing Loom or the Cash App Money Wheel. Have you ever heard of this, Dave? No, not specifically. Okay, so no. here's how it works. Someone will publish on some social media account, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Generally not Twitter. It's a picture of concentric geometric shapes. And in the center is a purple circle with one person's name on it. Outside of that, there's a pink square with two people's name on it. And outside of that is a green octagon with four people's names in it. And then outside of that is a blue octagon with eight spaces for names. And these spaces sell for some amount of money, these eight spaces on the outside. Let's mm-hmm. say 100 bucks, which is a very common amount I found on this. Everyone who buys one of these spaces pays the person at the center of the wheel or at the center of the loom their $100. So when all the outside spaces are sold, the person in the center has received 800 bucks, And then the loom splits into two new looms and everybody moves closer to the center. Does this sound familiar to you, Dave? <laughs> well, I am reminded of a different kind of shape that uh, schemes are named after. <laughs> yes. Precisely. <laughs> this is a pyramid scheme. That is what this huh. is. It is totally illegal in the United States and many yeah. other countries. Actually, running one of these is a felony and promoting it can actually be a misdemeanor in many states. Huh. Okay. It's actually a repackage of an old pyramid scheme called the airplane game. Now, the airplane game was presented in a way that looked more like a pyramid. So anybody who looked at it would say, okay, that's a pyramid scheme. Right, but it had right. the same the same thing. You were you were at the top, you were the pilot, and everybody paid the pilot. Below the pilot, you had two co-pilots. Below the co-pilot, you had four crew members, and below the crew members, you had eight passengers. And all the passengers paid the pilot to ride. And when the flight was filled up, the two co-pilots would become pilots, and it, it moved on and on. Right. And I remember these things being like chain letters back in the day, in the pre-internet days. They would move, you know, much more slowly, but. But they yep. did happen. I have a recollection of these sorts of things. My parents interacting or, or, you know, friends trying to get them to get in on these sorts of things when I was a kid. Yes, absolutely. It was very popular in the 80s. But the Blessing Loom looks like an attempt to get rid of the pyramid look of the scam because it doesn't really look like a pyramid. It looks like a circle, <laughs> right? But it a, gen- actually, a gentle, innocent, uh, harmless circle, right? Right. No, but no pointy actually, edges. <laughs> it actually looks very much like a pyramid from the top, right? Like uh. if you're standing over directly the Pyramid of Giza, it looks like that. Okay, so okay. that's that's your perspective. Uh, these scams are taking place on apps like Cash App. And unlike, say, PayPal, on Cash App, if you send somebody money, it's pretty much gone, right? Mm. It's, it's a quick way to move money around. A couple of things. This is happening on social media, so it spreads very quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is nothing that stops me from just starting one of these things, right? I could just put it out on social media and say, everybody give me 800 bucks or give me 100 bucks and then I disappear. There's nothing that stops me from doing that other than my high moral character and the threat of felony charges. <laughs> so – so I don't do it. But anybody could. It's not really yeah. all that hard. And it is a scam. 
I did a little looking around Facebook and I was absolutely amazed. First off, I did some looking around Twitter as well. And everybody on Twitter was just deriding this thing as a scam. There was nobody that says, hey, you can you can actually make money with this. Everyone on Twitter was very bitter about this. But that kind of fits huh. the personality of Twitter, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I found some posts on Facebook. I found one person who put a post up. And listen to this post, Dave. All right, I'm back again with the Blessing Loom. This time, it's big boys only, stimulus check edition. $1,200 gets me $8,200. Scared money, don't make no money. Hit my inbox for the cash app. Wow. So this guy is looking to scam people out of their stimulus checks. Wow. Their $1,200 stimulus checks. (sighs) Help me and everybody else understand, what is the breaking point of this? Because... Is this one of those things where eventually, you, like like many of these multi-level things, eventually you just run out of friends? Yes, absolutely. The breaking point of this happens very quickly because this has already been going on for a number of years. This is not new. There is no guarantee that when you actually fill up a uh, a loom as it is, that you actually move up in the next step. To me, it just reeks of total scam. I don't know that there is a what you're calling a breaking point, like in most pyramid schemes, pyramid schemes collapse when they can't find people to come into the bottom of the pyramid and and the majority of people lose their money in in the pyramid scheme. That's why they're illegal. But I don't even know that this is actually a pyramid scheme. This is I think this is just straight up scam. I mean, it's just Hmm. send me 100 bucks and then eventually you'll get 800 bucks. I don't think it. Here's another one. Looking for a team-oriented group? Look no further. This is from a group. This is a Facebook group that exists on – this is from a group, a Facebook group that is solely for the purpose of running these things. Our group has boards that level up from $1 to $8, $2 to $16, $5 to $40, and $25 to $200. So they're they're actually going after smaller pots of money. And they Hmm. they promise strong reinvestors, which is not at all what this is. And here's (laughs) here's a really despicable person. This person says, I have $25 boards to cash out at $130, also $100 boards that cash out at $550. So this person's not even giving the people all the money that they should be getting in the scam, right? They're taking right. a cut. Yeah. <laughs> well, taking- I mean, you know, it's, it takes a, it takes effort to organize these things, Joe. You know? Right, right. Yeah. Nobody wants it free, right, Dave? <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, i got to wet your beak, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> If you see this out there, it's a scam and it's illegal to participate in it in the United States. Uh, Hmm. There are very few countries in the world where it isn't illegal. Uh, If you're listening to me, probably illegal in your country. (laughs) Yeah, just be warned and and as always, spread the word to your friends and family that it's not worth it. You're you're probably going to lose your money, but also you you could get in legal trouble as well. Yeah, absolutely. I made a couple phone calls about this last night. Really? Yeah, I did. (laughs) What, to your friends and family to get in yep. on this deal, this money-making no, no, no. deal? <laughs> like I said, Dave, strong moral character and fear of felony charges. No. Okay. All right. More the fear of felony charges. <laughs> okay. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, those are our stories this week. It's time to move on to our catch of the day. Joe, why don't you share the details of our catch of the day this week? Okay. Our catch of the day comes from Twitter user Spencer Medby. And his tweet starts off, LOL, very funny. If you're going to try to scam someone, at least do it properly. Fake email address and the lack of a signature blank after it sincerely. It's not going to trick me, so Spence is not falling for this. 
<laughs> All right. Well, I'll go ahead and read this. So this is a, an email that has a logo at the top from YouTube, and uh, so has the YouTube logo, and next to that it says certified. So it's of course, certified, the, Dave. you know it's legit, right? right. It says, <laughs> it says, "Hi, creator. We've checked your content. Your channel is now eligible for the verification badge, and it has a check mark next to it." Prepare your channel. This form will help you with your request. If you need help, please reply to this message and we will contact you within 24 hours. This invitation expires in 20 days. Sincerely, and then there's a block, uh, like a big old square, big rectangle, and then a bunch of question marks. I think the rectangle's from Spence. Oh, he blocked it out? Right, yeah, he blocked it out. And he blocked out the email address, too. So I see, I see. It All just right. says sincerely. Yeah, sincerely, <laughs> period. <laughs> right, right, that's it. Sincerely, yeah. period. Nothing yeah. after that. The email address is from just some site that generates email addresses. I mean, there's yeah. nothing nothing related to YouTube here at all. It's from mailjet.com. So, Dave, YouTube does have a verification badge that goes on channels. You have to apply for it, and your channel has to have over 100,000 subscribers. Hmm. Okay. All right. And well. I, ju I just looked this up, and it says here, Google is very helpful. It says, it looks like your channel isn't eligible yet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Because oh, I'm well. signed into my – I don't have any subscribers, <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, maybe if you get more people to sign up for your uh, your blessing loom, then, you know, you'll get, uh, <laughs> yes. get, get a little more popular there, right? That's right. right. <laughs> All right. Well, that is our catch of the day. And of course, uh, we want to thank everybody who sends those in. Uh, we do appreciate it. And uh, we always enjoy sharing those with you. Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Neil Feather. He is a chief innovation officer and co-founder at SiteLock. And uh, we spoke about uh, how some of these scammers out there are filling the void when folks are out there in this time of uh, the pandemic and it's hard to get your hands on some retail items. I suppose uh, toilet paper is probably top of mind anyway here in the United States. Scammers are taking advantage of that and uh, trying to fill that gap for their own purposes. Here's my conversation with Neil Feather. Broadly speaking, I would say that folks are looking to take advantage of, you know, the current situation with the coronavirus in, you know, a variety of ways. And one of those things that's happening is that there's a lot of kind of supply chain issues and shortages that we're seeing in various areas. And so one thing that's popping up is we see these cyber criminals setting up you know, scams that attempt to trick people into believing that they can get in-demand goods like, you know, toilet paper or hand sanitizer or something like that, and utilizing that kind of as bait to trick people into giving over sensitive information like credit card information or, you know, other types of passwords or credentials that they can use for their attacks or for financial gain. So the scenario here would be, like, say, for example, I'm looking to buy some some hand sanitizer on Amazon and uh, and I find that they're all out. Where would I go next? A lot of people would go search for it. And what people will do is try to rank for certain search terms and then utilize those links until the search engines catch up with them to potentially offer a product that you know they're not really selling just for the sake of it. I think the other thing that a lot of people are seeing is an increase in phishing attempts where these cyber criminals are reaching out via email to consumers with the intent of offering a product or service that's in demand and you know in that way extracting sensitive information from a, a consumer. 
And so ultimately, would I, I be going to a website that looked like a legitimate site, but but it actually wasn't? Yeah, so many phishing attacks will happen that way, right? Where, you know, in a, in a business setting, they may set up a site to look like a Windows site and get you to log in there. But in this case, they may set up a phishing site to look like, you know, a uh, online merchant that would offer a product like this, maybe even one that you trust, like a, a grocery store or other kind of chain outlet that you might know. And, you know, a lot of times what they'll even do is go one step further and utilize otherwise innocent websites to set up these pages and these, you know, stores so that they're leveraging the website's reputation in order to, you know, trick users into giving over this information. So a lot of times they've gone ahead and compromised a website and they put their own content in a hidden area of the website that they then would link to via email. And for you as a, as a person receiving that email, you would never know that any of that happened. You would just land on a website that looks okay. And, you know, maybe has a, a fine looking, you know, domain name, a lock at the top and everything else that you'd expect. But, you know, the people behind the scenes are looking to steal information from you. Oh, that's fascinating. So I could, I could end up on a site that I trust that I've perhaps done business with before. And the bad guys have created their own pages on that site and even a place for me to check out and enter my purchasing information. That can definitely happen. And, you know, at a minimum, they would set up a site that looks like that. You know, one thing that we see sometimes with our small business customers is their email lists will get compromised at the same time that their websites do. And so, you know, these two things kind of happen. Happen at once where you're getting an email from a site you trust and you're also getting, you know, seeing the uh, the website set up, you know, that you would trust. And that does happen from time to time where, you know, these types of identity compromises or financial compromises can occur. Well, help us uh, understand here. How can we protect ourselves against these sort of things? What's the best way to come at it? One thing, you know, that we recommend is really kind of especially in the in the case of phishing, making sure that you really review the email that you're getting because a lot of times it will come from, it looks like it's coming from Amazon or PayPal or something like that. But, you know, in reality, it's coming from a, a nefarious actor and they're able to do some techniques to make it look like it's coming from there. But if you look deeper at the email, a lot of times you can spot things that are inconsistent. The other thing we would encourage people to always do is look at if you do click a link, uh, make sure it's taking you where you expect to go. Because even though you may expect you to take you to PayPal, you know, it may actually take you to a, a website that has nothing to do with that. And that's how a lot of these phishing attempts actually happen. The other thing I would say to folks is if you're if you're in doubt, don't click the link. Just go to the website directly where you think you want to go. And, you know, that way you take out a lot of the risk in kind of unsolicited links and things that, you know, are intended to trick you. But what about coming at it from the other direction? If, if I'm a small business person and I'm uh, making my products available online, what sort of steps should I be taking to make sure that uh, the bad guys aren't taking advantage of me from that side? One thing I think, you know, especially in this current time, so much is happening online. And so it's even more important to protect that online presence. Um, there are a lot of great tools out there. Obviously, we offer some, but, you know, you should definitely be scanning your website for any evidence of a compromise uh, or malware on a, on a daily basis at a minimum. Um, you'd also want to be able to, you know, quickly get rid of those issues 
and you know really be more proactive now than ever about your websites and its security by you know making sure that uh, you know you are identifying any weak points in your website or vulnerabilities and cleaning those up as quickly as possible and really looking to block any threats that come to the website proactively. You know, so I think there are tools out there. They can be quite affordable for small businesses. And, you know, I think that um, there's a lot, like I say, now more than ever, the website has become the primary means of commerce for a lot of small businesses. And so you've really got to be proactive in protecting that. Can you give us a little bit of insights as to what goes on behind the scenes with some of these tools? I know, I know that's something you offer and there, there are a lot of them out there, but what are they doing? Are, are they scanning for changes? What sort of thing is going on behind the scenes? Yeah. So in our particular case, what we're looking for is any evidence that a, a malicious act has taken place. So we're looking for specific patterns in the code of the website. We're looking for specific behaviors of the website that might indicate that something has happened there. And then, you know, many tools, ours included, will actually, you know, clean up these issues for you, uh, hmm. you know, in some cases in real time, uh, so that you don't suffer some of the negative impacts that we mentioned before of a compromise. So, you know, there's a lot of technical work going on behind the scenes through machine learning and other techniques to identify unusual behaviors and to identify malicious attempts that will, you know, help website owners who aren't necessarily technical experts or security experts really protect their online presence while they focus on growing their business. Where do you think we stand these days? Are are we gaining ground on this or are the bad guys uh, running away with things? What's the state of things right now? Well, look, I think, you know, one thing that this current crisis really proves to us is that there's no shortage of creativity in the cybercrime market. And there's wherever there's a financial incentive for people to uh, attempt these types of cybercrimes, they're going to get creative as they can. So, you know, from our standpoint, as a provider of security services and products, you know, we are always looking for, you know, new attempts and new attacks out there. I'd love to say that we have a 100% solution. I think with the amount of creativity and the amount of changes and the millions of new variants that are happening every day, there's unfortunately no 100% solution out there. What is useful, though, is trying to attack it from as many different avenues as possible. So protecting your digital assets, protecting your employees, and you know making sure that you are uh, staying ahead as as far ahead of the curve as you can uh, as a business owner will help you know mitigate that risk. I would just advocate for folks to be careful out there and make sure that they're educating themselves. You know, one of the things that I think gets missed sometimes is how frequently for a small business employees are at the center of breaches. One stat I've seen recently is about two thirds of breaches that involve small businesses were caused by an employee or a contractor's negligence. So making sure that your employees are up to speed and trained is just a really important thing that's often overlooked because there's so much else going on. All right, Joe, what do you think? Dave, uh, I want to talk about toilet paper for a second. (laughs) Oh, goody. (laughs) I, I have been trying to buy toilet paper, been having a very difficult time doing it, but I think I know where the toilet paper's going. Because oh. I have a friend who works in building maintenance, uh, yeah. and he was telling me that they have 36,000 rolls of toilet paper for their building huh. because their businesses are shut down, right? Right. So all the industrial toilet paper, you know, the, the corporate toilet paper is going into these corporate facilities, and all of the retail toilet paper is leaving the stores Yeah. because people are not at their office, 
their habits have shifted, if you will. Their habits have shifted, and the market has <laughs> not yet adapted to it. And I don't know that the market should adapt to it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. That's just an interesting aside. I think you know, I, I like to think of myself as the big brain who figures things out, right? Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. <laughs> but anyway, one of the problems with the uh, with the internet is that generally we have no idea who's on the other end of the connection. And Mm. this has been a problem. It's one of the first things I ingrained in my kids. I said, you do not know who you're talking to on the other end of the, on the other end of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you send an email to somebody, you think you're talking to somebody else. You know, of course, we always worry about the internet predators when we have kids, right? That's one of the biggest fears we all have. And it's a justified fear um, from some of the reading I've seen on the subject. But, you know, we know who Amazon is, right? Right. But we, we generally don't know who a new merchant might be. Like if you see Joe's website and I'm selling uh, you know, commodities right now, you don't really know who I am. You don't really know who you can trust and you never really know who's on the other end of some chat interface, mm-hmm. especially if it's a new person that comes, comes to you out of the blue. Uh, again, Neil talks about the little lock at the top that doesn't mean that you're secure. Uh, it, it doesn't mean you're talking to who you think you're talking to. All it means is that somebody can't intercept the traffic and decrypt it. Right. So we've got to get beyond that lock at the top and thinking that means secure. And I think I hope hope that we're moving around that. But you really have to be talking to the right person and you have to validate that you're talking to the right person, which is kind of difficult to do. Uh, Inspecting the phishing email. Neil talks about paying attention to the the phishing email. But that may or may not work. Right. These fishers are getting better and better all the time. And much like your story today, I say never click the link. Just mm-hmm. never click the link. Just go to the website that you're being told to go to and use a link or type in the URL manually. Or optionally, you can use a Google search, but be sure you're not clicking on any ads when you, when you use a Google search, right? Mm-hmm. Because that, that can also come back to bite you. There is no shortage of creativity among these cyber criminals. And the reason is they have the flexibility to be creative because they exist without restrictions on their creativity. I could very well say, you know what? I could scam people out using a blessing loom. But uh, no, that I have that limitation on, on, my, on myself because there's laws against it. But scammers <laughs> don't, don't have that problem, right? Scammers go, I don't care about the laws against it. I'm going to scam people out of 800 bucks. And finally, he says that two-thirds of breaches were caused by negligence. Uh, I, I understand what he means when he says negligence. I would use the term mistake. I would say a, a, an error. I don't really think people are being negligent or stupid when they fall for these things. I think they're mm. being targeted and victimized by malicious actors. Yeah, it's up to us to be diligent and everything. But you got to remember, people are trying to do their jobs. Their top of mind is, I've got to get this done by the end of the day. And we have to change the cultures of these companies, of all every company. I have to get this done by the end of the day and be secure while doing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it's a good point. Well, our thanks to Neil Feather uh, for joining us. Uh, He is from uh, the company SiteLock, and we do appreciate him taking the time. We want to thank all of you for listening to our show. Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thank you.